Hello and welcome to the 250. I'm Darren. My name's Andrew. And we're here to discuss the top 250 movies of all time as voted by IMDb users. Now this week, Andrew, what film did we choose? I have no idea what we just watched. I think it was called The Stalker. Stalker. Stalker, Stalker. not The Stalker. Not The. The. Careful now. I think it will upset all the cinephiles. And in fact, as I think this conversation will very quickly reveal, myself and Andrew are somewhat Philistines in the world of sort of um, classical cinema. Stalker being a classic of Soviet cinema released in 1979. I, uh, I, I, re- I really thought we were going to um, uh, prove ourselves. So, with, with this one to, sort of our critical metal so yeah, to speak yeah yeah to show you see it's it's not just uh, uh, jokes, <laughs> jokes about Luc Besson or metaphors involving the shark from Jaws no no not just that we were going to show we, a depth of culture yeah, and appreciation we're ready to be heavy hitters yes and sort of lay into it and offer bold critical insights turns out not so much not so much at all we'll do our best this is probably going to be a rocky one, but it'll be it'll be fun for us and hopefully for our listeners. And we apologize in advance for any offense that we cause to people who have a fine appreciation of classical Soviet oh, cinema. I'd I'd love to talk to somebody who 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 was able to appreciate this. We did we did try and get somebody on, uh, but unfortunately and ironically, the response that I got from the person was that they felt that they wouldn't be able to properly dissect it. To which I laughed out loud when I got that response. Yeah. Thankfully, they left it to us, and we are more than up to the task. Of course. All right, so let's talk a bit about the film. Well, first of all, neither of us had seen the film before, Stalker before. Um, I think both of us had seen um, Tarkovsky's big film, which is Solaris. That's the one that probably has the biggest sort of cultural cash for people who aren't, like, avowed cinephiles. Yeah, yeah. I I think I started watching it quite late, (laughs) like, in the early morning. (laughs) <laughs> some point probably on channel four channel four uh, was great for this sort of thing it <laughs> yes, really was yes um yeah and probably didn't not at all stay up for the whole thing had a dream <laughs> that somewhat resembled the logic of the rest of the film yeah this this one i watched kind of in the late morning early afternoon still nice to have that hazy phase yes um so i had a sort of a similar experience i'm probably alone or very rare in that i I appreciate uh, Tarkovsky's Solaris. I think it's actually it's a much better film than Stalker's. Uh, but I also appreciate Soderbergh's who's, who's, remake. Who's Solaris? Tarkovsky's. Okay. What did I say? I thought you said Sarkozy's. I appreciate. I appreciate Sarkozy's Solaris. Sarkozy's Tolaris. Would that be where we'd be going with that? Tarkovsky's Solaris. Probably my ears are falling asleep as well much like the rest of you yeah i feel like it was only like a proper three minutes that i actually like fell completely unconscious there's a Um, joke there to be made about whether you'd fallen asleep for three minutes or 30 minutes it would probably be hard to tell the difference yeah yeah the 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 pacing is is very forgiving for people who do fall asleep during well it's actually funny um tarkovsky when he first premiered this in 1979 to the uh soviet film commission they had similar concerns to you in that they felt that the film's pacing was slow and that it was unclear what was happening and that the movie could do with a general tightening. Um, to which Tarkovsky, to his credit, uh, immediately responded with, no, the start of the movie needs to be slow so that if people wander into the wrong cinema, they have time to wander out before anything happens. 
It was very considerate. It was very considerate of him. But anyway, so let's talk a bit about the film, right? So for anybody who listens to this podcast who hasn't seen it, uh, Andrew, how would you sum up Stalker? Uh, how would I synopsize Stalker? Well, yeah. um, video blurb, like back yeah. of the video box. A stalker, a writer, and a scientist. Or a professor. Yes. Venture into the zone um, where nothing happens and they return. Yes, it's like Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah. They wander off into the zone. Yeah. They have a talk, think about it, and then they turn around and they head back. Yeah, pretty much. This is probably the only time that, that you will hear a stalker compared to Mad Max Fury is Road. That, a, that kind of is a spoiler. But <laughs> <laughs> they head into the they they head towards the zone. Do they reach the zone? What happens in the zone? You probably have as good an idea as we have, and we just watched the film. Um, it, yeah. It is very hard. I would argue it's very hard to spoil the film in that the film is not yeah. necessarily a story, it's an experience. If you had like a field in front of you and you said, okay, let's go to the end of that field and um, let's, let's take our time. Um, well, there's a, there's a great conversation. We were talking about this while we were watching the film. The film is very aware of what it's doing. Very. Very aware of what it's doing. There's one point where the characters, and this is about 50 minutes into a two hour and 45 minute film, at which the characters can see their destination in sight. Yeah. And they ask the stalker, who's a guide. So ju- just by way of introduction, uh, by premise, the introductory scroll lays out the basic, the basic outline of the film, which is that something happened at some point in the past. The precise occurrence is left somewhat vague. Was it a meteor? Was it an alien ship? Was it an explosion at, at Bunker 4? Or something like that. But something happened that caused uh, the government of this country, which is not explicitly said to be Russia, it's said to be a small country, so it could be any country, to draw a military cordon around a region, um, the zone of exclusion. At the heart of the zone is said to lie the room, and in the room uh, it is rumoured, if you will, that uh, a person venturing into the room will have their greatest wishes fulfilled. The stalker of the title is basically a tour guide. He's like your Lonely Planet uh, recommended tour guide whose job it is to escort people into the zone, guide them towards the room, and allow them to have that sort of religious experience or to, to have their wishes fulfilled. Um, so basically, that's the premise of it. Yeah, I, I think his job is to prepare you for um, all of this stuff that's not going to happen. <laughs> it's a very dangerous place. You need to be very careful. Not everyone will survive. Oh, okay. All right, Never we mind. Yeah, um, we may talk about that a bit more in in the spoiler zone. So, but yes, the it is a very slow film that's not necessarily about story as much as it's about mood. Mm. Um, and it's so yeah. Let's 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 not mince around the bush. Let's let's just ask Andrew. Did you enjoy it? Enjoy what? Stalker, the film we just watched. Oh no, <laughs> <laughs> not at all. No. Well, no. Um, there were. Um, I it, it was like um, it was like a series of paintings. It was like walk, walking through a, um, a an, an art exhibition, an art exhibition, yeah. which I liked. That was actually that's a yeah. very good analogy. And um, um, with with, um, with 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 music playing in the background, very nice sort of seventies late because it's nineteen seventy nine, so it's late seventies synth music as well. Which yeah, is very very nice and very soothing. And it is um, Tarkovsky. 
is very fond of, for anybody who hasn't seen his films, he's very fond of slow pans. It's like he doesn't want you to miss anything. There's never a chance when you're watching the film that there will be a nice image that you will not see because the film has moved too quickly past it because the scene has been yeah. paced too fast or the camera was whirling too quickly. I mean, for, for the, it, it, was, it, it was good um, if that's what it was. It was it atmospheric. Was, uh, yeah. yeah. If it, it's it's um, so when when it comes to questions about um, the substance of the movie rather than the form is where is where I would kind of get into difficulties. Um, I would agree with that. Yeah. So the the, the, the it um, looks great, sounds great. Um, has a, has a nice atmosphere. Yeah. And it and it is. It's really really creepy. It's shot. Um, it's basically shot in this sort of desolate landscape that's sort of decorated with the remains of say tanks and fallen bunkers and burnt out buildings when, and I, when, overgrown. I, when I say it looks great yes. <laughs> it looks striking it looks striking it looks beautiful in an eerie haunted sort of way it does it really is it's a very desolate very sort of despairing landscape mm. but it's, it's very evocative it's very effective it is like you said like looking at a painting if you imagine painting like Europe after the, in the immediate aftermath of the yeah. second world war I say, I say, I say, my 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 patience for it started to kind of um, wear a bit thin. Yeah. I suppose I'm used to um, expecting uh, certain things from movies that of that of course weren't um, delivered, um, which is which is maybe more of a reflection on me than on the movie. I'm not yeah. sure. But I I would probably say the same thing about myself. But I mean, being honest, a lot of what struck me about it is that. Once you get past the beautiful imagery and the wonderful camera work and the evocative tone and the actual dialogue and the substantive themes, a lot of the movie seemed to me to have been written by a bunch... It, it felt like it was almost written by a bunch of first-year philosophy students who were very much sort of hammering out themes. The movie is... is or, it's, or an art student who's... Who's, who's been who's drawn doing, along who's, for the... Who's doing a philosophy module. Yeah. Okay, well, maybe, maybe that's a more accurate account. Andrew, having actually studied philosophy here, I apologize if I've caused any offense. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it does. There's a, a lot of monologuing. There's a lot of monologuing. For a film that is so stark and so beautiful, there is an awful lot of characters talking at great length about things that have no literal relation to what's happening on screen, but are thematically tied in a way that basically seems to point at the film and go, look, this is a film about art. Uh, which sounds very cynical. That makes me sound sort of like a philistine, doesn't it? Well, you know, I think you might be right, um, but I'm sure there are a lot of people who would say you're wrong. Yes, <laughs> and they'll, they'll probably hit us up on Twitter after this. Yeah, no, I I would like to kind of discuss these things for somebody to 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 make some kind of an argument for for the seemingly deep discussions in this movie for them to elucidate why it's not um a, a lot of just a lot of statements of, of nonsense well i won't say nonsense but statements of things that seem quite self-evident to me in like this discussion of is art selfish does art exist for the purpose of the writer or for the reader all that sort of stuff and you know this idea of belief which the film really hammers in like which is really odd for a film that is so abstract or that is so you know, that is so dense and so sort of thematically rich and evocative. Mm. It is incredibly on the nose. I, that, at least yeah. that's what I found when I was watching I, it. I, 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 w I was hoping that this might be some kind of profound, meaningful um, experience. And, and it really wasn't. So if you're, if, if, 
if you're expecting that from this movie, I, you could prepare to be disappointed. Maybe you won't be. But yeah. um, for me, for me, it, it 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 didn't work on on that level. It did work in 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 the sense of um, uh, visually and orally. Yeah, um, I'm glad to have watched it. To be honest, yeah. is, like I, I, there, there made made no philosophical impact. I suppose. Yeah, we'll, I, we'll, I guess we'll 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 get to talking about that and maybe discussing some of the um, uh, early in the movie. What 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 kind of strings were being pulled at and where did they lead? Yeah. But um, yeah, I, w- I would say would I would I recommend it? No, is it is it worth watching? Yes. I'd probably go with that. I'd I'd, yeah. I'd say like I'd, I'd argue Solaris is much more. Uh, it's strange to say accessible or enjoyable, but I, I think Solaris works better than this. And it's strange because it is a very highly highly regarded film. I think the British Film Institute ranked it the second best movie of all time after Blade Runner, for oh. example. Um, and it's in it's obviously in the the IMDb two, top two hundred fifty as voted by film uh, film viewers, which is is quite interesting as well. Mm. So um, yeah, I, I would I would second it. So with that in mind, we're probably going to delve a bit deeper into. And it's weird to talk about a film like this having a spoiler zone. Well, um, I, yeah, I, I, <laughs> given Andrew just offered a, a a very effective synopsis of the film's two hour and forty three minutes. It doesn't matter. Like, yeah. you 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 told like everything that happens in this movie. It's not going to spoil anything. No, because it, it it's the imagery. Like it, it is and. What I do like about it doesn't come down to plot or even dialogue. It comes down to the image, images, uh, which mm. we'll talk about in a bit more depth when we actually get in there. So with that in mind, will we head into the zone, Andrew? Will we head into our own zone? <laughs> we'll head into the zone, the zone of... Spoilers. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> yes, we'll have an extended conversation about whether or not we'll actually go into the spoiler zone. And then we'll turn around, we'll end the podcast. That's the spoiler zone there. Will we just go... I, I think I, I'm not sure if if we go into the spoiler zone, what what happens? Who told you about the spoiler zone? Actually? Let's take our time. Yeah, let's amble, have a conversation. I think I could have a monologue. Do you think I could have I could have a monologue? Hold on, let's do that. Yeah, the the, the the zone is inside. Yeah. Let's go. Very slowly. Very slowly. Right, so let's talk about memorable scenes and dialogue from the film, right? So, and we'll probably take it in sort of chronological order. So that the movie opens by focusing yeah. on the life of this stalker, the guy who's going to serve as a tour guide, bringing. And it's yeah, it's framed again, very beautifully, again, yeah. like a painting. Yeah, um, and then it, it's slowly kind of zooms in, and then yeah, it's it's through the door as well. There's a lot of yeah. that in the film. There's a lot, a lot of that. Yeah. A lot of this idea of barriers and guessing barriers, like for example. Even during the opening credit sequence, you're positioned at the st- at the opening of a door to a bar mm. where a man is slowly drinking as the credits play over it. Mm. Uh, and then later, the next and that scene... And lo- that looks very much like a painting too. It does as well. And it's a scene that they come back to at the end uh, once they return from the zone to the normal world. Plus it's... The, the, um, the, the bedroom scene. But I think the, fra- the framing of that, they kind of return to a similar shot when it's the three men... Yeah. Um, in, in 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 the zone towards the end, yeah. where uh, where they're all kind of lying down 
is, is panned is, slowly back yeah. and forth, basically. Yeah, it's reminiscent of, of, of the beginning. Yeah. There's, there's, three, there's three people in a bed. Yeah. Um, and then you get to that shot later in the zone where there's three people lying down and trying yeah. to sleep and conversing while doing it. Yeah. No, it is. It, it's very evocative. It's very effective. And I mean, even, even little things like the way that um, Tarkovsky constructs the sequences. So, for example, having um, the stalker close the doors over but leave it open so that you can see his wife sitting up in bed or having him walk out but having the camera positioned so that through that narrow slip in the door you can see his daughter sitting up in bed mm. like there's there's a lot of meticulous attention to detail here and it all looks very very beautiful there, there, there are, um, consider, considering all of the attention that's been put into kind of framing and shooting this movie there were there were there were, there were a few times there were at least three or four moments where, where where the editing wasn't great yeah you know so where 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 it just kind of like clicks into into, into something else. there is there's there's a really weird and in fairness i'm not sure if this this is probably a conscious choice to do with e emphasizing how weird the zone is but there's a bit where the writer is wandering up and he's going to the he's as if he's going into the room and the camera just cuts around to being in front of him and the way that it's edited together it looks almost like he's like it's shot as if he's having a conversation with himself, but then he goes, "No, no, no! The camera's just moved position. We're seeing the same character, just from an angle that is very much off the the one eighty rule. The idea that you keep uh, something within one hundred eighty degrees so the audience is accustomed or acclimatized to it. Mm. Um, there are lots of little elements like that, and I think you there are some interesting. I won't say naturalistic choices, but interesting moments where characters or actors seem to to fumble within scenes. And it, it's left yeah, in because the like scene's running long. Things. Yeah, and bending down to pick it up while continuing the conversation. Yeah. There, there are a, a lot of those. And it, it, it's interesting that, you know, we sort of, we talk about how beautiful the, the film is. I, 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 like, I, I, I don't know how, um, how much of a good choice those things were. Yeah. Because when, 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 when I see them, I don't think, um, oh, that, that, that was, that was a naturalistic choice. I think just seeing somebody drop something and be like, oh, sugar, and try to kind of like pick it up without being noticed. <laughs> without continuing on. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 just, it just seems like somebody making a mistake in a movie and being let in. Yeah. Well, no, it's interesting because, I mean, I've read a bunch of essays from people who worked on, on the film, and a lot of them were saying that Tarkovsky's approach was very much how much... How long can I make a long take last? Uh, which is like based on the, the physical limitations of the film that I'm using. So I can get 10 minutes. Well, if that's the case, then let's try and get 10 minutes of this scene without cutting. Or let's try and get, you know, as long as we can without cutting. And I think it there is a bit of that. longer for the actors because they're like, oh, we know we can't use this scene, but we have to go through it <laughs> anyway. <laughs> and it's only going to be reshot. So it's going to go for another 10 minutes. Yeah. No, it, it is. And... It's so long, long takes, but he always used the first. The first <laughs> take. Of the, I don't think so. I, I, to be fair, now I, I think I would be surprised if they were the first take. Uh, I think accidents happen on just about every every take. If you're going to, uh, like, if, if you're doing something like that, it's it's going to take you twelve or thirteen takes to get it right, not to have an accident. Um, how so? Is is, is there anything that, that difficult? It's like. So here you're going to hold this in your hand and... You're going to say a bunch of lines. Yeah, and then they shoot it. It's like, oh, sorry, uh, you're I, gonna I dropped it again. And you're going to throw it. Um, 
Well, I mean, to be to be fair, then you've got to go back to all your marks, and you got to you know you got to start from the beginning of the conversation. We, you do give a lot of credit to Bill and Andrew. <laughs> in fairness, they're doing something di- more far more difficult than sitting down and talking. Yeah, about I, I would generally err on assuming that everything that happens in a film is a conscious choice, and w- there was a decision made at some point to to go with it for a reason. It doesn't it, matter how you feel about it. <laughs> no, Andrew, you're wrong. No. I, I think that's legitimate, and I think it is legitimate to say that those are some very strange choices and some very odd um, odd moments that don't necessarily enhance the film. But I do think that... I, I think it's fair to assume that, you know, that it was a choice on the part of the director. It's like, maybe it was a happy accident or whatever, but that he was like, this makes the film better. And whether or not we agree with that. Yeah, but, like, if, if we, we, we can agree... That, that that he chose to do it. It's it's what it's what uh, impression does that have yeah, on, on on the audience? Does it seem naturalistic, or does it make it seem more like a movie? Yeah, that's where a good where point. where it's it, it it took me out of it. Yeah, and to be fair, like we we're talking about naturalistic. There's a moment the penultimate scene in the movie has one of the characters staring at the camera. Delivering an extended monologue explaining her life choices yeah. at that point. A, a, a lot of this, um, a lot of the movie seemed more like um, theater and kind yeah. of avant-garde theater than than cinema as as we're as we know it. Yeah, like this sparse um, sets. Yeah, sort of impressionist. Seems very kind of yeah, like the, the black walls and yeah. kind of like a chair. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I, I kind of, I kind of like that, and the idea that yes, and a tape player in the background, <laughs> with like the sound of dripping water, or or a cuckoo, yeah, or a cuckoo. But I did, I liked, I kind of liked that aspect. Of it. Like I think Tchaikovsky's kind of talked a little bit about how uh, he structures these sort of long takes and why he likes these long shots. And his argument is, uh, and I'm not going to put on a, a fake Russian accent, unfortunately, for this. If the regular length of a shot is increased, one becomes bored. But if you keep on making it longer, it piques your interest. And if you make it even longer, a new quality emerges, a special intensity of attention. Andrew, would you find that to be the case? What does Tarkovsky think happens when you get bored? (laughs) Apparently you become more interested. You become more interested. Okay. Which I think explains explains a lot, possibly, about how the film is is structured. In in what's like in Soviet Russia, are are they allowed to leave the cinema? Like I was bored, and then I realized I couldn't leave, and, <laughs> and then suddenly I... became interesting. Okay, so yeah, so basically the the premise of this so it opens with those long takes. The yeah. stalker then goes to a bar. He meets up with these two people. He's going to take into the zone with him. Uh, he's going to take, and they don't refer to each other by name. Yeah, I, this is what you're talking about. Them at the car first, where, 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 where that beautiful woman that we see once. Uh, yes, uh, who is with the writer. Who is with the writer. Um, and he's like, she can come along. Yeah. Well, actually, he's he has this big monologue about triangles. Yeah. Uh, the, and he's the writer. Yeah. And that that's all you find out about him. You're talking about this idea of abstract theatre. The characters don't even have names. The characters are more concepts uh, attached to them. So yeah. we never find out what the stalker's called. And not very, not very um, sharp concepts. Like there, there, there isn't really uh, like he's called the writer, yeah. and then there's there's another uh, guy who's the professor. So are we to think okay, they re- represent um, the arts and sciences? No, not really. I think they do. Like, really? 
To what extent? I, I, think, I think they're very broadly drawn. Like, I don't think they're sharp. You were saying they weren't sharp. I don't think they're sharp at all. I think they're very broadly drawn. There's no... There, there's, there, there's as much poetry or uh, philosophy coming, coming, coming from, from, from the scientists. There's, 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 there's actually very little um, kind of hard, factual... Um, sort of down to earth. <laughs> I guess um, this is not a movie reality about... coming from yeah. the, from that character. This is and similarly when you take the writer, he's talking um, all about how there's no um, mystery in the there's world. There's no mystery in the world. Yeah, he's introduced with this big monologue about yeah how yeah. how a triangle is actually about triangles. Yeah, how triangles like... are actually three triangles. Okay, so he's not really the 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 artist's um, uh, archetype at all. I don't. I, like, I don't know. I, I, like, the I think characterization isn't very strong. No, the characterization is not no. strong. But I, I think that's the point of it almost is that um, I do think there is an archetypal quality to them. So I think, for example, the the scientist is represented as a as a threat to the room, which we'll get to in a second, as a threat to the the zone. I think the zone, like, what what does the zone stand for to you? What does it represent to you? What does the zone the zone rep- represent to me? I wish I knew. Okay. Um, the the um, the zone is well. There's a number of things that are that are uh, that we are that we learn about the zone. We learn that or is the, suggested about the zone. Yeah. yeah. Um, and none of these things happen to be true. Or are validated. <laughs> or as are true. validated at any point. Yeah. The zone is very dangerous. Uh, for example, is is is, is a statement that is offered. Which, yeah, over and over again. And if you make like a wrong step, you, you will die. You, yeah, you will be punished. And the, people the... make wrong steps all the time. They go places they're not meant to go. Um, they come back again. They're able to come back fine. They don't get lost coming back. Uh, people don't follow. That's all right. They they end up kind of uh, meeting up again. Meeting up again. Um, Zone is also somewhere where all of your dreams uh, come, come true. true, or your innermost desires. Desires. Nothing seems to change <laughs> from from when they would, from before they were in the zone to after. Um, Apart from the fact that the film is now shot in color, the film transitions. The initial scenes are shot on this sort of uh, gold sepia gold sepia thing. thing. Yeah. I believe it was shot on the film that the Soviet Union used for military recording military footage. Um, that was not considered artistic um, and then we'll we'll talk a bit about the color bit in a second the color bit had its own complications and stuff but mm. there is a clear difference in terms of how the zone is presented in terms of color but i think i think and, and maybe i'm giving it maybe i'm i'm being overly generous here but i think what you're getting at which is this idea that the zone is not at all what it is described to be mm. is perhaps a point of the film and not not just later on when it becomes explicitly a point but in terms of like when they first arrive in the zone, uh, the stalker makes a big deal about how um, you know how it, it most of the time when he goes there, people don't come back, and isn't it wonderful? And the professor's first response is, "It smells a bit like a bog." Mm. Well, I I think it's far more dramatic to kind of talk something up than 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 to actually know what you're going to do once you get there. Yeah, it's um, like what. It, it, it's it's far more difficult to deliver any um, drama. Um, when, Are you when talking about actually, the writer or the story? Actually, Are you talking about when it actually comes to the punch, and when okay. it does, there's nothing. Okay, so you're talking about Tarkovsky and not the stalker here. 
You know, um, Tarkovsky as a film director rather than the stalker as a character. Yeah, I, I don't blame the character. Well, I, I would argue. <laughs> they're, 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 they're made up. Yeah, and they don't exist, and therefore, yeah. yes, yes, Andrew, I am familiar with this concept of fiction. Well, tell me what we is don't this blame thing? them for what happens <laughs> yes, in the movie. Yes. Well, unless they cause it to happen. But no, I mean, what I mean is more. There's uh, this. Yeah, Tarkovsky was like, leave it in. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but the uh, what I imagine, what I'm talking more about is this idea that comes up, and it comes up very much at the end of the film as well as explicitly stated. And this is one of the things I really that I didn't care for in the film, which was you have all these interesting ideas that are suggested uh, early mm. in the film. And then in the film's final act, you just have these long monologues where the characters state that the stuff that you thought was heavily implied is actually true. And we're not just going to say that it's true. We're going to spend a full 10 minutes explaining how it's true. So for example, there's the suggestion that the stalker is really just making all this up as he's going along that like, this is his thrill. Like, the idea that the zone represents hope or belief or spirituality or something more than that. So, for example, there's this really nice shot early on where the stalker brings two guys into this zone. He's like, whatever you do, don't wander off. I'm going to wander off. And he goes to what looks like the remains of a burnt out church and he falls to his knees. Uh, and it's sort of like a nice religious experience. So the fact that he keeps referencing God, uh, which is also uh, a very much a choice. Yeah, I, I'm willing to kind of... the go down the route of um, what this film is about is kind of bursting that balloon of mysticism but it doesn't I, I it, do, it, do, it doesn't go to um, I don't think it's necessarily it, about bursting it though I, th- I think it's it's very much and this is going to sound very airy fairy and Andrew's going to like punch me when I say it because uh, he's now sporting a really deadly handlebar moustache which we may put up on the on the notes page but I think that when it suggests like the zone at once can be a place of belief in magic and mysticism and all that can at the same time be completely made up and it can still be valid i think is what the film seems to suggest or what it seems to say to me in that the zone is not dangerous in the way that stalker says it's dangerous it is not uh everything in there is like mislabeled the dry tunnel is actually really wet for example uh the meat mincer doesn't actually do any mincing at any point it does. We just don't get to see it in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I swear, the last time this is like totally super dangerous. Yeah. Um. yeah, which again is all based off everything the stalker is saying. And, yeah. and at the end, when he goes home and he has this breakdown to his wife about, "Oh my God, they don't believe me. It's so terrible. There's no belief in the world." I like, he... Yeah, I like that idea of um, the stalker uh, being basically a charlatan. Yeah. Yeah. Well. That- charlatan makes it sound i think like i think the film is somewhat sympathetic towards him i think um i think tarkovsky himself is somewhat sympathetic towards him in that i think it's a film that's that believes that the world is and this is the most stereotypical artsy auteurish director nonsense imaginable but that the world is no longer a magical mystical place because nobody believes in everything and that's terrible and if only people believe in some irrational nonsense, the world would be a much better place. Well, wouldn't that be very subversive? In well, this I was about to say, in this context of the Soviet yeah. Union, where stuff like, yeah. Where when, when we're introduced to the uh, writer, he's, ha- he's having this very subversive discussion. Uh, he's talking about the, the boredom and the godlessness and the accompanying alcoholism of, of the world they live in. And it, se- it seems... Um, 
it seems like the 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 world they're talking about um, within the movie is 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 just um, that they're that they're talking about the Soviet Union. Like it is. Yeah, well, I mean that, that's one of the. And, I mean, I mean it, but but the, but this is this is uh, a um, uh, state backed <laughs> film. <laughs> film. It, it seems to be delivering this very kind of subversive mo- movie. I'd be more inclined to believe that the that it's of questioning the validity of of of, of all of that um, kind of um, escape from uh, boredom and, and 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 godlessness and 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 to kind of question how how I guess how far this mumbo jumbo goes, <laughs> you know. I mean, it it's interesting because Tarkovsky did an interview shortly after the release about the film. And he, he, he basically said that we even planned to have a variation of the ending in which we would tell the viewer that the stalker had invented the whole thing and that he was desperate because people didn't believe in it. Imagine a rich man who created from a little of everything, a world, a house to which he could bring his friends in order to create a certain impression. Obviously, if I were him, I wouldn't say that I've known this place for a long time, that I made it myself. It would be an experience for others, a fascinating sensation. That's the basis of the creation in what will be called the Stalker's line of work. So I think, and, and oddly enough, like even though that's not the ending they went for, they still have a huge conversation at the end where the writer basically goes, actually, wait a minute. Isn't it entirely possible that this is exactly what's happening? Yeah, it's... Um, can, we, can we talk a bit about um, the moment before they actually break the, the cordon? Yes, yes, sorry. We, we seem to have jumped all over the place. It's, it's, it's yeah. incredibly non-linear. So, so uh, yes. So, basically, they meet at the... They, so, he meets the writer with the, with the girl. Take and for, they take forever to leave the bar. They and um, I, think, I think at some point he says, move for God's sake. And Andrew was like, yes, that's exactly what I want to yeah, happen. A lot of times in a movie, actually, where, 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 the, where the characters address this uh, slow as treacle kind of um, uh, pacing... Well, there are some great lines. There's a moment where, for example, the stalker says, the longer way means less risk. <laughs> yeah. The, the, and they're within 200 feet of the room at that point. And, and it and goes on for another hour and a half. Yeah. With, with, there, there's, there's plenty of times where people are, are self-referential when it comes to all of the nonsense they're speaking. Because um, at one point, they, uh, I think they're, they're... Is it the writer or the... Professor. Uh, professor. Um, it could be the same person. Because, be, 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 because I think one of these lines belongs to each of them. One of them says, stop all this sociological diarrhea. I think that's the writer protesting yeah. the professor. And then I think the professor says, all this poem reciting and detours is just a way of apologising. Um, and Andrew punched the air a little bit. He's <laughs> like, yep, yeah, that's my criticism right there. Yeah. And then later on, the uh, third character is, you're, you're going to get mad at me now. that is a great that is a great moment they they arrive at the room like they're on the threshold the camera sort of pauses the character pauses there's an awkward silence and then the stalker goes you're gonna get mad at me but at which point andrew's like just go in the room (laughs) just shut up and go in the room but anyway we should talk yeah we we got a bit unchronological there which is appropriate for the film so yeah they're 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 trying to break in 
So what they're doing is they're making, uh, they're going forwards, then they're reversing, then they're taking a left turn and a right turn, then they're making another left turn, then they realize that they went the wrong way and reversing and turning right. Then, then, then they need, they need, they need to reverse, but also go left. Um, they need to hide for a bit. They need to wait. Um, someone's coming has obviously heard them, although he's deaf, so he hasn't. Um, and they're, they're going around and around and it's, let's wait here. Let's follow that train. Let's follow that train. Um, never mind. It's the... right next to us. Yeah. It's the most in, um, uh, relaxed chase or sort of escape sequence yeah. ever. Although and there, there's a whole lot of people shooting and nobody and hits anything. Yeah. Nobody hits anything. Then they're maybe like 50 yards away and it's like. Okay, people are still um, after us, but I guess not too fussed. Yeah. Well, one of the yeah, one of the really bullets every now and then. It's like, oh, okay. But yeah, what's really weird is they seem to get shot more when they're indoors than when they're outdoors, which is is very strange and kind of the opposite of how you imagine it would happen. Yeah. So they'll be inside dilapidated buildings and bullets will hit the water in the pool next to them. And then they'll just go out into a wide open space on a tram that's not moving very fast. No. And everything will just be rosy. Yeah, let's just kind of like, we're just going to pour these molasses slowly out of this can. And it, I do kind of wonder, they, that once they get into the zone, they make a point to send the trolley and the train back. You kind of wonder what sort of security forces are they running that when the train arrives back, they're like, yeah, we'll just leave it on the track there. Yeah, there's, a, there's, 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 no, there's no real proper sense of, of, of danger. Yeah. I, I was thinking throughout the movie one of these people is bound to die right <laughs> like to to, to, to to escalate the stakes or to underscore yeah. how dangerous it is no no which again I think plays into this idea that the zone isn't really anything more than just a myth or, or a rumour or a lie yeah like, were, were those real guns at all they were just firing blanks <laughs> yeah they're, 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 they're just kind of actors at a theme park yeah well that's one of the things yeah I found sort of interesting was this idea and it, it's this idea we're talking about the opening shot being shot through a door and then when they uh, when they're going out the right is the right or the professor's like I uh, I forgot some cigarettes after he's just passed the threshold of the door oh yeah and he's within he's like he, it would be a two second job to walk back to the bar and say hand me a pack of cigarettes but the other guy with him says no don't do that it's bad luck superstition as if to say you can't cross the threshold to go back but across the course of the film it's a weird it's weirdly constructed so it's like a jailbreak. Except instead of breaking out, like most narratives would have you do, you're breaking in. And I sort of wonder if that's, yeah, I don't know. I, I think that's, maybe I'm reading too much into it. But I, I like this idea of the zone representing, say, faith or hope or belief uh, inside a tightly controlled straight to the point where even if you are free and even if you are sort of no, liberated. No, even, no one's ever broken out of the zone. Nobody's ever broken into the zone. And I've done it twice. Into the zone. Um... <laughs> But, There's no map. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I'm imagining a version of this with uh, CGI Sean Connery inserted into it. Um, must be losing my sex appeal. But um, no, just this idea that like even the stalker acts as if when he's out in the world, that's the prison. And breaking into the zone, which is the space at the heart of, of the countryside or whatever, is is freedom, even though it is itself an enclosed space. Uh, the room itself being the ultimate representation of that. So I kind of wonder if it is, like in terms of like Soviet cinema, that is what it's it's getting at or representing. This idea that 
the state itself is, is, is a prison that traps people and then you, you have to have this idea of belief or hope to, to get outside of that. I don't know. Maybe I'm just waxing lyrical. I, I, I could monologue like a character in this film. Yeah. Yes, Darren. And, and I probably wouldn't have any more patience for it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Andrew. I must have a very low... Um, Threshold for the experience of Soviet <laughs> Russia. Um, but no, okay. So in terms of that, so then they get into the zone and they do a lot of wandering. And they do this thing where to see if the road ahead of them is safe, they tie a bunch of ribbons around mechanical nuts and throw them. Yeah. And it's just getting dirtier and dirtier all the time. Uh, yeah. Part of me is also wondering, like, it, it doesn't seem a very secure way of proving that the road ahead is safe. You know that the point that you threw it from is safe and you have a reasonable suspicion the point where it landed is safe. But there's a whole lot of ground you have to cover between there. Where, you know. Like, they, they, they just have to kind of leave. Okay, this is... This is... Um, he, he seems pretty confident, so I guess he knows what he's doing. It, kind you of pointed like somebody who's watching the movie. You pointed you pointed this out actually about the scenes where they're where they are walking through and where the stalker is acting as tour guide. Yeah. In every single instance where he can do so, the stalker. Yeah, he gets them to go ahead. He's like, "Okay, I'll show you the way. Uh, you 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 just go ahead there." Yeah. Like there's a point where he he says, "We'll draw matches to determine who goes." And then make sure that the matches are rigged so the first person to draw gets to go who isn't yeah. him. And then later, it's, it's like, it's, it's, it's always the writer kind of going, going ahead. <laughs> yeah. And then later in the movie, it's like, oh, who should go ahead? What about you? <laughs> yeah, writer. Um, yeah, you get the sense that he really doesn't like the writer for some reason. The yeah. professor sort of coasts, which is really odd because the professor is carrying a knapsack that it turns out contains like a 20 kiloton bomb. Yes. Yeah. Um, but he, he seems to coast on, like, the stalker's goodwill. Despite the fact that he's the one who's like, oh, I gotta go back for a knapsack. I'm not coming with you. I'm throwing a hissy fit. The writer's all like, I'm into this. I want to see what's going on here. And you kind of think that if the stalker had to pick one of them to be cannon fodder, it would be the professor, the weird, creepy professor. But no, no, no. It's the writer. Yeah. Maybe he just didn't like the books. Maybe. Everybody's a critic. There's, there's, um, I'm wondering if, this is a film about drugs because a lot of the time when they're wandering just through the zone there's all of these syringes left around yeah in these puddles of water with the camera panning slowly over them yeah but so is it, is it about drugs or is it about gods but um, i'd argue it's about something even more basic than that like the when when the camera pans over these things like there's a point towards the end of the film where they're almost at the room where the author comments and notices that there's, you know, there's a light bulb and electricity is still working and there's sleeping pills. And then there's the shot of the syringe. Those are all things that we see in the opening couple of minutes of the film where we see like the bedside table. The bedside table for the stalker has sleeping pills and they're shown to be sleeping pills later on when his wife gives him one. It has a syringe on it. Um, and what, early in the film, he's caught by his wife preparing to sneak out when she turns on the light in a sequence that is, is shot to emphasize that the light bulb works, that recalls the way that then the writer turns on the light and it works in a similar way. So I, I part of me sort of wonders, well, first of all, in terms of the drugs, like if the zone is a metaphor for locking yourself away from the state, from anything that makes you secure or anything that gives you space. So in terms of like religious belief or hope, maybe drugs do work as a metaphor for that. 
I, th- I think there's a suggestion as well in the movie that if you're thinking if you're thinking this is some kind of insane trip that these people are on then you're wrong because I think the phone rings and the answer is like no this is not a clinic yeah um, which, which I guess is like hey um, yeah these people aren't crazy <laughs> they're, they're, t- they're still completely sane and on the level there's a, yeah, there is a really nice interview, um, again, with Tarkovsky on this, where he is asked basically about that, about uh, the phone ringing in there. Uh, and the interviewer asks, and, and the phone ringing in the derelict house? It, it's a beautiful image, but how can that happen? To which Tarkovsky responds, Well, after all, it's very possible that an old telephone could be there, that it wasn't destroyed, and that someone is on the line. Why is that impossible? Which... Is a wonderful non-answer. Yeah. It's like, it's, how is it possible? Well, it's not impossible. Yeah, yeah, it could happen. Which I think sums up a lot of your criticisms of, of how the film is constructed. It's like, please, please don't ask me any more questions. <laughs> it's well, like, why, why did you do this? Why not? Yeah. Well, I, I kind of, I like the idea. It does have a dreamlike quality to it, but I, I like the idea that across the zone and for all that you know for all that everybody wonders what happened to the zone was it an alien landing in the book that this is based on um which is roadside picnic by the strugatovsky brothers it's explicitly stated that the zone is the result of an alien visitation Uh, and the the title roadside picnic is a metaphor uh for that the idea that the aliens came they sort of just left a bunch of junk line there and then headed off which is an interesting science fiction idea itself but in the film, it's left ambiguous. People sort of wonder, well, was it was it aliens coming? Was it a meteor that hit or whatever? But or, or is it just a fantasy? Yeah, uh, just a stalker, a crazy, crazy stalker. Mm. But I think um, there's this idea that it happens. Well, what, what, I, like if 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 he is a fantasist, what are the what are the government uh, goons protecting? <laughs> Good what's, point. What's 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 going on? Yeah, there's a question. I mean, it it could be just that you know a nuclear reactor went set. Like a lot of it, a lot's been written about how obviously this was produced uh, nearly a decade before the Chernobyl disaster, mm-hmm. but about how the imagery of the film evokes that sort of um, that sort of uh, climate, like the idea that you do have a zone of exclusion, that you do have a military patrolling it, that you do have this, and it happens in Chernobyl as well. You have this weird tourism thing where people do try to sneak past. Or where people do want to buy stuff that's related to it. Despite the fact that one assumes it's highly radioactive and incredibly dangerous. There is a, an incredible black market trade, apparently, in people who want to sneak into the Chernobyl area and who want to be given tours of them in spite of the security uh, frequency or behaviour. So I, I have no problem believing yeah. that something vague happened there. You always have to stop Matthew Broderick from collecting radioactive worms. Godzilla, Inside. ladies and gentlemen. Good yeah. <laughs> This is probably the only podcast discussing um, Stalker where somebody will make a Matthew Broderick Godzilla reference. Which uh, I like. I think this is what I like <laughs> about this podcast. So I actually I do. I love it. But I think there's this idea that everything that's in the zone that we actually see is brought by man. So you have all these tanks from when apparently the army went in and they didn't come back, which are just abandoned. And so there are bodies with, uh, with machine guns attached to them. There's all these syringes in the water, all these sleeping pills, all these guns and stuff. There's actually nothing that looks alien or nothing that looks unexplainable or unaccountable within the zone. 
there's just all these barricades and structures and, and all this sort of stuff. Um, I, I, I like that. I like the idea that what, what is in the zone is nothing but what a person brings into it. And the stalker sort of hints at that where he's like, well, look, when you get what you wish for in the room, it's not actually what you wish for. It's what you bring in there with you. It's your history, your past. It's what you don't realize you, you deserve or whatever. So I don't know. I, I, like, I like the syringe imagery in that regard. Um, and I do wonder if it is like the syringe, the drugs are as an escape, like religion, say, yeah, or like hope or something. It's it's not a lot of thoughts. It's whatever <laughs> you want it to be. Thank thank you, Andrew. Yeah, I, I, I sound like I'm really playing devil's advocate here. I didn't like it that much more than you did. To be fair, I thought it was maybe. It seems like I, I thought it was more interesting. I gave it a bit more no, credit. No, I've I've said I've talked about the stuff I liked. Um. <laughs> now it's time for the fun part of the conversation. Well, no, I I um. I think I think um, like I I should I, sh- I should probably be a little bit more modest in 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 my opinions, but I think that no. that a lot of high art um, has this kind of um, pretensions of meaning more than 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 it actually does. Much like the zone itself. Yeah. Which yeah. is, is a beautiful metaphor, I think. So what you're arguing is that the... Well, yeah, maybe, I, I, I think what, what saves this movie most is its awareness of itself. And we've given away a lot of, a lot of the, the, the kind of points in the, movies, uh, in, in the movie where... And, and the whole plot of the movie, I suppose, yeah. is, um, is something that um, is, is very aware of itself, I think. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It's it's it it just seems easier to 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 do that than than to um to actually kind of tell a story and yeah. and, and make some kind of a point yeah. rather rather than to 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 just t- kind of take the postmodern step of like what is art and what are we doing and are we really saying anything and does this does any of this mean anything yeah and I mean I should which I sh- which which I which I have less of uh, patience, patience for. for. Yeah. And, and I should be honest, I agree with that to a certain extent. I seem to be more sympathetic towards the film than you are. But I also do think that there's a lot of a lot of the film, a lot of the points that it made. I was actually quite disappointed in watching it because in reading it, it had been sort of built up and reading about it and reading the commentaries about it and seeing it ranked as the second best movie of all time by the British Film Institute, seeing it on this list, seeing people, Kate Blanchett talking about how every frame of the film is seared on her retina. Uh, which seems like a rather overly dramatic statement. But if if yeah. if it hadn't been, she probably <laughs> wouldn't have remembered it as well. It's just that it was seared onto her retina. It's like it's like the person like I was glued to my seat. Otherwise, I would have left that movie a long time ago. <laughs> but yeah, I I thought despite that hype, there's a lot of what it's saying is incredibly obvious and incredibly I don't want to say trite because that's a condescending but a lot of it is very much like this is the sort of stuff that you think about when you're 18, 19 years old hanging out with people who spoke a lot of marijuana um, sociological diarrhea is what (laughs) it is to quote the film and and I think at the end the stalker is like oh god those people are the worst (laughs) (laughs) they actually saw more minutes with them like they actually yeah, saw through this, yeah. <laughs> they didn't. They didn't follow me unquestioningly. <laughs> they didn't embrace the art of what I was doing. And I do think, yeah, I do sort of wonder if there is an element of that where the film itself becomes the zone, where it's built up as this idea of something that's so much more. Well, than what an, it is. Another example of the movie kind of know, knowing itself very well is him saying those so-called intellectuals, because there, there's 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 a lot of like seeming intellectualism that's not really no. 
it's it's all very very basic stuff like the, the writer has a big existential breakdown about whether or not he writes for himself or whether or not he writes for his readers or whether or not writing is a selfless thing to do you know like, kind of like writing uh, feeding the homeless is probably a selfless thing to do well, what Donating is the point of my arse if it doesn't last forever? Yes. Uh, will people still be reading my book in a hundred years? And you're like, ah, you know, maybe, maybe you should mellow out a bit. Uh, <laughs> maybe you, it doesn't have to be this profound. Um, you know, maybe you could just relax, take it a bit easy. Um, which is, is interesting because, yeah, it, it is didn't like the film as much as I thought it was and I didn't think it was as good as it was built up to be or as smart as it was built up to be but anyway so that said it did have some wonderful imagery actually I'd say there was a lot of oh absolutely a lot of striking striking imagery I particularly liked and again we've now we've in our spoiler summary we've got to the point where they've entered the zone so it's pretty much an hour and 45 minutes of people wandering around eerie haunted environments so what were your favourite eerie haunted environments Andrew? I guess um, we we saw it a bit in the in the trailer the the the, the nuts on the white string which hitting, is amazing hitting, yeah we're in some sand, sand dunes yeah. and sort of bouncing almost yeah it looks like a frog it's it's quite beautiful in terms of visuals beyond that that wonderful image of the uh, nut with the ribbon tied to it skipping across the sand dunes which is a beautiful image and even just there are, there are lots of uh, little things that I like like the sequence where uh, the writer drops a stone in what is clearly a bucket and it's, it's the easiest special effect in the world to do because they just wait and they play the sound of it hitting the bottom three or four seconds later yeah is, the... is that is that the the image that we see of like the, um, something splashing into mercury no I think that's earlier slowly settle... no but I'm, I'm wondering is, oh, is okay. that what we're seeing Oh, because that doesn't really have any relation to anything that's going on at the time when we see it. I don't know. I thought that didn't the didn't the stalker have to go around like a pit at that point? Because that was at the point where they're about to go in, and the um, the professor is like, "Oops, I forgot my uh, forgot my knapsack." And they're like, "What's in the knapsack?" He's like, "Nothing, nothing important. Nothing gonna blow up the room. Nothing to worry about." No. Um, but I do. The, do the way the way that um, bomb is dealt with n- n- never feels like there's any real threat s- or stakes or threat at all. It's like I have this twenty megaton bomb, kiloton to be fair. Kil- kiloton, oh, okay, exciting. Yes, it's riveting. Anything? Are you, are you going to do anything with that? Oh, please don't do anything with that. Maybe if we talk this out for about twenty minutes, we can we can reach a conclusion that will satisfy yeah, everybody. Stop him! Stop him! Oh, he's just going to stop all by himself. Never yeah. mind. Yeah, and so the stalker tries to physically stop him, and that doesn't work. And so the author monologues for about ten minutes, and the the professor is kind of like, actually, you know what? He makes a good point. Uh, and I'm not. I'm going to be honest. Watching the film, I'm not exactly sure what the point is. Right. So the the argument is that, and the professor makes is that if the room actually exists. Uh, people could go in there with nefarious motives. He actually legitimately cites, say, the Fuhrer, um, could go in there and could change the world in a way that would be terrible. So the logical thing to do is to blow up the room, which I think is a nice... And this is the thing where you're talking about the professor not really seeming like a professor. I interpreted that as a very, very broadside at the way that science demysticizes the world. Again, from the perspective of the author who likes the mystical. It's like science takes this idea of something abstract and something that you can't prove and something that's not concrete... And is so scared of it that it tries to detonate it and blow it up. Um, or yeah. to, you know, to, to strip the mystery of it. But if that's the case, I don't understand why when the writer makes the argument that maybe the stalker's making it all up, 
maybe he's not. I don't know. He probably is. Uh, why the professor doesn't either go into the room to verify his hypothesis like an actual scientist would, which would seem to be the logical thing to do, or even just accept that even if the stalker is just making it up, the room itself is a dangerous idea, which seems to be what he's suggesting earlier, and blow it up anyway. Yeah, which seems kind of anti, um, like that's um, uh, anti-science. Oh, it is kind very. Of fear. Yes. Yeah. It is. Well, I mean, scientists make bombs. And I think you, we were talking about this a little bit earlier about the film as existing, existing <laughs> re- in the context. It reminds me of um, when the Large Hadron Collider um, was, was having its test. Oh, everyone was all like, it'll be black yeah. holes and the uh, world. Yeah, it was one of, my, one of my friends at the time. We were working in a hotel. So it's, this is a bleeding mouth. I'm only after, rem- after memorising the new menu. I feel like I've wasted this opportunity. Genuinely upset. It was, it was hilarious. It was like I <laughs> had to be spent time Memorizing. learning stuff that I'll never <laughs> need to know because, because the world is going to end. You have your priorities straight. Yeah. Well, it is. It's it's very much a fear of of science. I think as de- as a demystifying force. And we were talking about earlier about how maybe from where we are now we we aren't looking at the film from the context of like it existing as a post-war film because we're a generation removed from the post-war generation almost yeah so i mean like for 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 us um it's not it's not enough for the point of art to be that there is no point and that it's a yeah it's a, a meaningless uh void um i think for 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 people our age, for for all the um, the meaninglessness that there is, I think we 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 have an appetite for uh, meaning. Meaningfulness, yes. Yeah, I mean, even even more than that, I was I was probably going on a more sort of basic level and saying the the fear of science as as literally being the people who make a bomb. Um, I think that there is some of that in the, in the way that the professors treat it. Mm. I think there's very much a, a fear, as you said, the anti-science sort of sentiment. What does the professor do when he's off to visit this wondrous thing? He brings a bomb. Yeah. And then he doesn't do anything vaguely scientific with it. No. He just dissembles it and throws it in some water for some reason, which I'm not entirely clear what it is, because the writer makes a nice speech, which Mm. I think may be the central theme of the film, perhaps. You get a sense of how the film feels about things like science and writing from that sequence. I think I put it it just about covers it. I suppose we we didn't talk about the very ending, yeah. where um, the um, he has a daughter who's who's some kind of uh, mutant, and she is a mutant apparently because of his profession. Yeah, as a um, result of the him going into and coming out of the zone. Yeah, yeah. He was um, really in the zone that evening. Yeah, um, but she 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 has telekinesis. Yes, uh, and it's it's interesting actually because you know we were talking a moment ago about just, how just just. Just to state that again, the the daughter in this movie, she has uh, telekinesis. She can move things with her mind. As is revealed in the final shot of the film, which is another long take of, of glasses being moved around the table by her. And knocked off, which is, is very inconsiderate for her mother, I think. Yeah. But what's striking about these scenes is the way that they're shot in full colour as well. Because generally, early in the film, and once they get back uh, from the zone, they're shot in that sepitone. Whereas uh, towards the very end, there are a couple of shots that are done in full color. So yeah, for example, there doesn't seem to be any attention at that point to to which ones are, are done in full color and which are not. I don't uh, know. I, I thought there was. Well, it it, it, it certainly doesn't seem apparent. It, okay. In in like um, like it's very clear 
when we move from 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 the kind of Stefan military yeah, yeah, sort of to, to to full color yeah because they've 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 passed into to this area and they're they're in the zone and then he's having I think a dream where again it's in sepia but then, which which yeah. is interesting the thing I didn't talking about the dream the dream he imagines the dog in it so I was sort of wondering is that a flashback but it turns out no 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 the dog actually only exists in the zone and he brings the dog back with him yeah. Um, which I, I I didn't quite get. I wasn't sure whether or not he was recalling a, another dog or if like because then later on when the dog appeared, I was like maybe the dog represents something he brought into the zone. But no, in the end, it turns out the dog represents something that he brings out of the zone. Yeah, um, it's just a regular dog, by the way. It is just a regular dog. It do, it doesn't have telekinesis. No, um, there's no final shot of it looking dodgy. But I do think at the end there are sequences in the regular world that are shot in color, and I think they do that. For, I think there is a reason behind that. So I think that the reason why they do um there's a sequence of him walking home with his daughter that's shot in color and i think it, it does that to underscore really there's not much difference between the zone and the world that the stalker regularly inherits because they're both this sort of isolated industrialized desolate society that is rather gray and once you don't have the sepa color on the camera i think they, they look very similar so it does sort of maybe it hints at that idea that stalker did all make it up and then I think at the end, the bit where she's moving, the bit with her mind, which is also shot in full color as opposed to the sepia, um, is to illustrate that maybe he isn't. Maybe there's maybe she's something he brought back from the zone in a, in a sort of a spiritual existential sense. So he wandered into the zone looking for hope or looking for proof or looking for the idea that something mattered more than that. Uh, but he came back and he ended up with her and she can, which is, is interesting, actually, when you mentioned that final scene, because I did a, a bit of research into this and I discovered that the... Um, the actual sequence um, in which she moves the glasses with her mind were inspired by footage um, that he had actually seen, that uh, Tarkovsky had actually seen. Because Tarkovsky was apparently a big believer, uh, and you're not going to be surprised by this, a big believer in stuff like UFO phenomena and stuff like that. He, uh, he knew uh, an ordinary man called Edward uh, Numov, who was very much a sort of a believer in the paranormal. So that he even spent time, I believe, uh, in the gulag for that yes for you spent time in prison yeah. for the illegal sale of tickets to sort of mass gatherings of paranormal phenomena so and the soviet establishment were were sympathetic to that sort of um those sort of notions at this point it certainly seems like it's there, there there's no real kind of sense in watching this movie that it, that it's that it's under um a a censor's sort of yeah, get a exactly. stern gaze part of me sort of wonders if yeah, I, I really wish I knew more about the work of the Soviet cinema. Part of me sort of expects or guesses, I suppose, that a lot of the reason why the film is so abstract is perhaps to get it past that. Uh, in that, I, I reckon if you're a censor going to cut that up, you know, you, you have an argument with Tarkovsky where you're like, well, look, this party line is that we don't believe in religion. And he's like, where is the religion in this film? And you're like, well, I have the, fo <laughs> I have the following examples. Like, no, no, it's just a dude wandering through his own. You're reading far, far too much into it. Yeah. Um, okay, we don't believe in paranormal phenomena like the girl moving stuff with her mind. It's like, ah, oh, there was just a train. The audio track didn't hear it, but there was definitely a train moving past when those things were moving. Uh, I sort of wonder if there was a lot of that to it. But apparently, yeah, the footage was basically, it was footage um, of, I think the name is Nanel Sergeyevana Kulagina. Nailed it. I nailed it in one who was a professor to be a Russian psychic, moving a glass across a table. And apparently Tarkovsky saw it and wanted to incorporate it into the film, and that's where the final shot came from. 
So I think the, the final shot does suggest that maybe there is something to to the mysticism and the magic that the stalker wants to believe in. But yeah. I don't know. Fun fact as well. The film was shot three separate times. And what do you mean by that? I mean, they, they shot it once. And it wasn't released. And they sh- yeah, they shot it once. There was an error with the film. Apparently it was... Footage was sort of smuggled or donated uh, from West Germany uh, for it. It was a Kodak or Kodiak uh, film. It was five twenty. Sorry, five thousand two hundred and forty-seven or five two four seven stock, uh, with which the Soviet laboratories were not quite familiar at the time. So they they shot it all. I, they developed it. Even I am not that familiar with the workings of Kodiak film stock. Uh, but apparently they developed it and it didn't work out well. There was also, I think, it, at one stage he ended up with footage with uh, film. That was not suitable for purpose. It was double immer- double uh, emulsion when it had to be triple emulsion, and was also not not good as well. And he also had recurring arguments with the cinematographer. See, you can you can you can use double emulsion on on, on wood, or, or... <laughs> but 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 not on existential. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is the problem. Um, and then there were there were ongoing arguments with cinematographer Georgie Rurberg as well. But the the basic the takeaway is that not only did Tarkovsky film this. He shot it three separate times before the version that we have here. So maybe that explains why you have scenes where the stalker drops something, he picks it up, and they're like, let's go with it. <laughs> it's kind of like, okay, we've done this three times. In uh, And they also moved uh, they moved countries as well between it as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah, to give a more more sort of uh, a more atmospheric sort of tone to it. In fact, there's actually something quite sad um, about this, because you were, you were remarking when we were watching about all the, uh, the dirt and dust that you were seeing in the air. Yeah. Um, it's kind of dander just kind of floating around yeah which is very atmospheric and gives it sort of like a wistful quality but these according to the sound designer vladimir sharun um we were shooting near we were shooting near Tallinn in the area around the small river jagala with a half functioning hydroelectric station up the river there was a chemical plant and it poured out poisonous liquids downstream there's even a shot in stalker snow falling in the summer and white foam floating down the river this in fact was some horrible poison Many women on our crew got allergic reactions on their faces. Tarkovsky died of cancer uh, of the right bronchial tube and Toila Sonanason too. That it was all connected to the location shooting for Stalker became clear to me when Larissa Tarkovskaya died from the same illness in Paris. So there, there's an argument to be made that the film killed its director. Uh, I don't know if it's, it's been medically or scientifically proven, but there's a lot of speculation that shooting the film and the conditions under which it was shot contributed to the the passing of Tarkovsky. Does that account for 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 some of the high opinions of this movie that it that it has? Yeah. That I'm not sure. Maybe. Well, I think I think I can see the mythology sort of building around it shooting it three times and shooting in an environment where your crew comes down with cancer. It's very much a suffering for your art sort of thing, you know. It is like it is a, a legacy project. Yeah. But I mean, I think there are lots of examples of work, uh, late work by directors that is not highly regarded. You know, I think I think Alfred Hitchcock's later films like Frenzy and Family Plot are horribly underrated. They don't get the same sort of revaluation or, you know, although he didn't die shooting them, to be fair. He didn't die as a result of shooting them. Yeah. Does this movie deserve to be on the top 250 movies of all time? Andrew, what is your feeling on this? Is this one of the top 250 movies you have ever seen? Not for me. I suppose, I, but 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 that's very much. Um, well, I, I, I suppose I'm giving an opinion. That's uh, of, of of course I am. What what yeah. what? What else would you be doing? Exactly. What it's um it wouldn't be on my t- uh, t- 
top 250. Um, no, I wouldn't be on, on mine either. Um, and it, it's odd. Like, I mean, I, and maybe again, you were talking about this is, this is our, a difference between what we like from cinema, what we expect from cinema and all this sort of stuff. I w- yeah. I want, I want, I want a movie to, to, to have a point and for a point not to be that it has no point. Well, I mean, yeah. And I, I feel like I, I, we're coming across as Philistines here. Like, I mean, I do, I do like non-narrative well, cinema. I do like Koina Scatti. I do like Baraka. Um, I do like, I mean, I like David Lynch. Yeah, uh, that's too. a great example, actually. Yeah, but um, I think in those David Lynch movies, there there is, there is more of a at least platina of 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 stuff you recognise as, as 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 cinematic. Like he's 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 um, there are characters. Ta- he, yeah, he's he's taking the kind of um, structure and 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 beats from from. What we can recognize um, as cinema, and and going in a kind of a, a surreal um, direction, rather rather than um, just sort of um, alienating people, and also kind of there being no point to it. I maybe wouldn't be quite as harsh, but I, I would agree with a lot of what Andrew said there. I think my problem with it was not necessarily that it was abstract or surreal; it was that the points it was making, it was being abstract and surreal taking its long its time getting there which looked beautiful but that it, it also in many ways the points that we're making were very simplistic and very sort of um very naive and very yeah. sort of they, to, they did... to to its credit the 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 movie um as as i've said before seems to acknowledge um uh, a lot of a lot of what it's doing a lot of the kind of um uh, meaninglessness or uh, uh, pretentiousness of what's going on um it's addressed within the movie i guess but um so now let's move on to the in and out chart that's right it's not what you think we're going to take a look at the movies that are coming in and heading out of the imdb top 250 movies of all time so let's take a look at what's been new since we last recorded what's in and what's out Ooh. So this is actually quite a good, uh, quite a good in actually. We 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 have an interesting one. I yeah. I believe this is an Irish movie, isn't it? It is indeed. Yeah, it's an Irish animated film. And it was it was a big favourite of the um, uh, Scanlan po- podcast. It uh, was indeed as well. We quite liked it as well. It is Song of the Sea. It's it's the the wonderful animated film got nominated for the Oscar a couple of years ago. It was a big Irish success story, uh, much like the Secret of Kells. Have you seen the Secret of Kells? Yes, it's, it's basically that. No, no, I haven't. But I've heard, <laughs> I've heard of it. Yes. yes, yes, I have seen it. No, <laughs> yes, no, I, I have. <laughs> yes, um, which is pretty much it. Um, so no, it is very worthwhile and very worth seeking out. And in terms of patriotism, very, very good to see it up there. Back in, uh, sorry, in is uh, Lagan, Once Upon a Time in India, which is nice. We see a lot of the um, Bollywood films or a lot of the Indian films coming in and going out, uh, which is yeah. quite interesting. I think it's just sort of a changing demographic. And this one's actually, it's three hours and 44 minutes, so it's even a bit longer than Stalker. And it peaked uh, in June this year, coming in at 81. It was, at one point, the 81st best movie of all time. Wow. Uh, yeah, which is it's quite striking. It's currently the 248th best movie of all time, according to IMDb voters. Mm. Um, which is interesting. I kind of wonder if we got a, if we got a Bollywood film uh, or an Indian film, what we'd make of it, given what we've done to Soviet cinema this, this week. <laughs> Uh, and much like much like Andrew argues, the film itself is aware of its own deficiencies. Much are we, and then the final one that appeared or popped in this week was Beauty and the Beast. 
Yeah, which has been in and out quite a bit, actually. We yeah, think we, we talked we about this before. We had our out chart, I think, last week. Yeah, which is nice to see it sort of bounce back in or rebound. And again, I wonder if the uh, upcoming Disney film with Dan Stevens and Emily Watson is contributing to that. And to make room for that, uh, we've just had a, we've had one drop out from this year, which we have to admit we were considering doing a special podcast yeah, to cover. Yeah, we were just going to jump right to it. Yeah, we were going to jump in and do Captain America uh, Civil War. Um, so it dropped all the way from 178 right out the bottom of the chart. That's in spite of your live tweeting. That's in spite of my live tweeting, which garnered a surprising amount of attention. Because who would have thought people on the internet like films about comic books? Yeah, people voted it down. Just in response to my criticism of it. I'm going to take complete credit for this. Um, also dropping out is the Turkish film Kiz Uzak. Kiz Ukazi, a.k.a. Winter Sleep. No. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Win winter Sleep, we can say that. We could say Winter Sleep, yes. Winter Sleep dropped out there. Um, its highest rank was 248. In fact, it had been at 248 for quite a while in August. Uh, and then it sort of dropped out. It's bounced back in, and now it's out again. Uh, it's Pretty an, recent. It is. It's 2014, and it's another long one at 316 minutes. So, uh, And then finally, the last one disappearing, which we've talked about before. Which we have spoken about. High, yeah. high noon. Still yeah. out of the charts. <laughs> <laughs> I think it came back in last week and then bounced out. It's, yeah. it's more dribbling down the bottom of the chart than, than anything like that. Um, so I think that's very much the state of where we are now. So let's take a look and let's, t let's figure out then what we're going to do. What we're going to be looking at next week. Andrew, I'm going to ask you, my lovely assistant, to press the button and generate the random number. And, oh, we're back in the 200, so we are going to... Oh, wow, we are right underneath where we landed today. So we today we covered number 203, which was Stalker. Now we landed on 204, which is the classic Woody Allen film... Annie Hall. Which is great. Have you, have you seen it before? I have seen Annie Hall. I've seen it a few times. I quite like this movie. Yeah, which is interesting. It's one of those great sort of Woody Allen questions. Do you prefer Annie Hall or Manhattan? Which is which is your favourite Diane Keating collaboration? <laughs> so with that in mind, we'll let you viewers question that. We're going to look at the trailer that. We're going to check it out. Uh, what's, what's, what's that line from The Simpsons? I, I like Woody Allen movies. I just don't like that <laughs> awkward neurotic guy that he puts in them. A relationship, I think, is, is like a shark. You know, it has to constantly move forward or it dies. And I think what we got on our hands <clears throat> is a dead shark. Woody Allen. I love what you're wearing. Oh, you do? Yeah. Oh, well, it's, uh, this is, uh, this ties present from Grammy Hall. Who? Grammy? Grammy Hall? <laughs> yeah, my Grammy. <laughs> what are you kidding? What'd you do, grow up in a Norman Rockwell painting? Diane Keaton. You don't want me to live with you. How, how, I don't want you to live with me. How, whose idea was it? Mine. Yeah. Was it, it was yours, actually, but, uh, <clears throat> I approved it immediately. Tony Roberts. The one with the VPL. VPL? Invisible panty line. Yeah, she's a 10 max, and that's great for you, because you're, you're used to twos, aren't you? Carol Kane. What, what, what's your name? Allison. You, you're like New York Jewish left-wing liberal intellectual Central Park West Brandeis University with the socialist summer camps and the, the father with the Ben Sean drawings, right? And the really, you know, strike-oriented kind of... Uh, stop me before I make a complete imbecile of myself. No, that was wonderful. I love being reduced to a cultural stereotype. Paul Simon. We're going to meet Jack and Angelica and have a drink there. And if you'd like to come, we'd love to have you. We can just sit and talk, nothing. Uh, not a big deal. It's just relax. Just be very mellow. I, I don't respond well to mellow. You know, I mean, I have a tendency to. If I get too mellow, I, I ripen and then rot. Shelley Duval. I was at the Stones concert in Altamont when they killed that guy, remember? Yeah, were you? 
I was, I was at an Alice Cooper thing where six people were rushed to the hospital with bad vibes. Janet Margolin, Colleen Dewhurst, Christopher Walken in the new Woody Allen film. Are you always funny? Hey, what is this, an interview? We're supposed to be making love. Annie Hall. No, that was the most fun I've ever had without laughing. Annie Hall. romance which is the subtitle which you obviously couldn't hear on that recording there um yeah so i'm quite looking forward to that i have to say yeah there's lots of people in it there are lots and lots of people in it. i like how they stopped giving people lines after paul simon it's yeah. like we have paul simon and a bunch of other people <laughs> i think shelly duval got a line didn't she? did she was she before or after there, I'm, I'm, yeah, there, there was a point though where it's like, yeah, yeah it's rapid to, succession. Yeah, yeah, it's like Christopher Walken. Yeah, that. but um, yeah, no, it's great, great film. I have, have very a lot fond of time memories for any movie with Christopher Walken in it, no matter how Care, bad it is. Careful now. Yeah, <laughs> you say that before we hit the bottom 100, Andrew. <laughs> I'm sure there are some kangaroo Walken Jack. Yeah, in the bottom 100. Prophecy yeah. two, the prophesying. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, Walken is one of those actors who elevates all of his material, but it's great to see him given great material, actually, which yeah. he is here. This, yeah. this is one of his breakouts, too, it was, wasn't it? It was the um, breakout movie for Christopher Walken, I believe. I, I saw, well, like, aside from the one that he won the Oscar for, <laughs> yes, Andrew. <laughs> yeah, but this was before Deer <laughs> It Hunt, was before Deer Hunt. Yeah. Um, but it was, it's a very small role, from what I recall of it, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, but, but it's fantastic. It is. It's, it's, uh, he, he steals the scene. He does. Uh, anyway, so with that in mind, Andrew, what are you up to this week? Well, I am um, hopefully recovering from a bad back that I seem to have just only developed today. You had to take the responsibility of criticizing this film on your own shoulders. I think that's what the problem <laughs> is here. Um, but yeah, so that's cool. We can hit you up on Twitter, Andrew, can't we? Yeah, uh, A-Q-U-I-N-N-I-U-Q-A. Perfect. And you can find me at Darren at Mooney um, and just rant and rave about how little we know about Soviet cinema, how Philistine we are and how, uh, how unfortunately yeah. we got, how all the details we got. Uh, so uh, put it in Russian in Cyrillic so that uh, we'll have even less of a chance of understanding. Of comprehending it. Thank you very much for listening. This is the 250. I'm Darren. And I'm still Andrew. Take it easy.